morning, Christ Central. It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker today. He is a dear, dear friend of Pastor Harold, Pastor Owen Lee. He is the lead pastor of Christ Central Presbyterian Church in Virginia. And before his call to serve at CCPC, he was a senior pastor of Christ Central in 2012, where he served as the English ministry, and he also served as the English ministry pastor of New Life Mission Church in Fullerton, and this was back in 2000 to 2002, and then also as a church planning pastor of New Life Mission Church in Burbank, California from 2001 to 2011. We are so blessed to have him here. He is married to his wife, Margaret, and they have three children, Abby, Caleb, and Lizzie. Please join me in welcoming Pastor Owen Lee. Oh, good morning. What a privilege. What a pleasure to be here. I am such a huge fan and supporter of Christ Central Southern California. I, I believe God is using this church to do uh, amazing gospel expansion right here in Southern California. So I cannot thank God enough uh, for you all, for this church. Um, as uh, Pastor Daniel mentioned, uh, Harold and I, we've been friends since college, uh, all the way back uh, at our days at UC Berkeley. So our friendship spans uh, 30 years. It's, it's crazy to think about that. And, and our kids are now uh, the same age that we were when we first met. It, it just astounds me how fast uh, time flies. And um, as some of you may know, Harold just turned 50 this past week, and, and several of us uh, got to celebrate his birthday last Sunday, and it was just so good for me to see so many people love and celebrate and appreciate Harold uh, because they've been so positively impacted by his friendship and ministry. And um, um, Harold is not only my best friend, but I believe he is one of the best preachers I know. Um, and I hope, uh, Christ Central, that you all realize what a, what a rare gift you have in Harold as uh, being your senior pastor. He is a God-sent gift to you all, and I hope you appreciate that. Well, a few months ago, I went to the Van Gogh uh, exhibit in D.C., the Immersive Experience, and I believe it's here in Los Angeles as well. I'm not much of an art guy. I'm more of a sports guy, and recently during COVID, I picked up golf. I love golf. I'm terrible at it, but, but I love it, and, but, but I love my wife, and, and she loves art, and so I went with her uh, to look at some pictures, uh, some paintings, right? Yay. Uh, but while I was there, I tried to have a good attitude to be a supportive husband. And because I had a good attitude, I learned a few things I want to share with you. First, uh, I learned that Van Gogh produced a lot of art. Now, you may not know this, but uh, not only was he an artistic genius, but he was incredibly prolific. He only worked for about 10 years. And in that 10-year span, he uh, produced over 900 works of art, many more sketches and drawings, which means that on average, he produced a new work of art every 36 hours. That's crazy, right? Uh, second, uh, I learned that he got famous only after he died. Van Gogh's art was not well-known, celebrated, or desired while he was alive. He never knew how much the world would love and revere his art. He never knew how famous he would get. He died in obscurity. And third, I learned that he lived a very short life. Uh, he lived, uh, he died at the age of 37, and he died by suicide. So he, he didn't just live a short life, but he also lived a very sad life. Uh, in fact, um, there was a quote that was attributed to Van Gogh that was on one of the walls, and, and Van Gogh said this, sadness will last forever. 
Now, I know that it feels that way at times, that sadness will last forever, especially if you're going through a prolonged season of sadness. Um, now, I know that today is not Easter, but I want us to think about the resurrection of Jesus. And I think as Christians, it's good for us to think often and to think deeply about the resurrection of Jesus and its implications. And, and, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead tells us that Van Gogh was wrong. Yes, sadness is real. Sadness is heavy. Sadness is deep. But sadness will not last forever. You see, the gospel tells us that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but that he will also return one day. And when Jesus returns, he will make all things right and all things new. And on that day, death will be swallowed up by life. On that day, suffering will be swallowed up by glory. And on that day, sadness will be swallowed up by joy. You see, as Christians, we long for the day when Jesus will come again to renew and restore the world and us. You know, the older I get and the more I see and experience the brokenness and sin, not only in the world, but also in my own heart and life, uh, the more I personally ache for the day when the resurrected and living Lord Jesus will come again to make all things new. You see, the older I get, the, um, the doctrines of the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus are no longer just doctrines I ascribe to or believe. They are now precious, life-giving truths that sustain me when I enter into and go through my own seasons of weariness and sadness for the days when I want to give up and just throw in the towel. These two doctrines sustain me and keep me going. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul writes about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and its implications. And so I'm going to read from verse 1 to 28. So people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Uh, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, by, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ." Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted uh, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Our text today teaches us three things about the resurrection. First, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. Second, the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus. And third, the hope of our resurrection, which is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. Now, many people today believe that Jesus was a mythical or legendary figure, that he did not really exist in human history, and that religious people made Jesus up to teach morality at best or at worst to control and oppress people. But it is an indisputable historical fact that a man named Jesus really lived and that he had a preaching and a healing ministry in Israel about 2,000 years ago. And it is also an indisputable historical fact that this Jesus was put to death by crucifixion during the time when Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. And the day that this Jesus was put to death on a cross has historically been called Good Friday. And this Jesus is the reason why there are hundreds of thousands of Christian churches around the world today. These are indisputable historical facts. But what is disputed as historical fact is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, Many historians who accept that Jesus was a real historical figure Uh, deny that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. And they tried to provide alternate theories to explain how these resurrection uh, legends began, which led to the formation of Christian churches. But there are also millions of people throughout human history and to this day who believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, and we call those people Christians. Now, there are two main evidences for the resurrection of Jesus, both of which are Uh, historical uh, facts themselves. And the first evidence is this, an empty tomb. 
On the first Sunday uh, after the death of Jesus, on the first Easter Sunday, uh, some women went to the tomb of Jesus to anoint his dead body with spices and oils. They expected to find the dead body of Jesus in that tomb. But the body of Jesus was not there. The tomb was empty. And the women also claimed that angels were at the tomb. And the angels told them that Jesus is not there because he is risen from the dead. Wow. The second evidence is the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people. There were hundreds of people who publicly testified that they had seen the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. Verses 5 and 6 of our passage tells us that Jesus appeared to all the disciples and then to more than 500 people at one time. Hundreds of people claimed to see the resurrected Jesus in multiple locations and at multiple times over a period of 40 days. So the reason why Christians today believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened is because we believe that there is good evidence to believe that it really happened. We believe that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a historical fact, just as we believe many other historical facts. Let me tell you some other historical facts that I believe. I believe that Van Gogh really lived and that he really died in 1890. I believe that Titanic was real, and it sunk in 1912. I believe that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were real people, and they landed on the moon in 1969. Now, as a Christian, I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is as much a historical fact as all those other historical facts. And I don't believe all those other historical facts because I was there to see it for myself. In fact, I wasn't there to see any of it for myself. In fact, most of the stuff that I believe as historical facts, I was not there to see for myself. But I believe all those historical facts because I believe the people who were there and they left us their accounts. In essence, isn't that that what we all do when we believe any historical fact? We are believing the accounts that were left to us by others. And so, we as Christians believe the resurrection of Jesus as a historical fact because we believe the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people who were there. They saw it for themselves, and they left us their accounts. Now, as Christians, we know that dead people do not come back to life. We are not ignorant of science. We're not stupid or naive. We know that when a person dies, that person's not coming back. But we also believe in a God who can raise the dead. In fact, a God who cannot raise the dead would not be God worthy of worship. And as Christians, we believe that God did a rare, a very rare supernatural miracle when he raised Jesus from the dead. And that's why there's an empty tomb. And that's why there are hundreds of people who claim to see Jesus with their own eyes. And that's why Christians today believe that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead actually happened because we believe the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people who claim to see Jesus after he was resurrected because they proclaimed it and they wrote about it even at the cost of their own lives. So the first thing our passage tells us about uh, the resurrection of Jesus is that it was historic. It really happened. The historicity of the resurrection. Next, let's talk about the necessity 
of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is foundational, essential, and absolutely necessary to the Christian faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian faith is fraudulent and worthless. In verses 12 to 19, the Apostle Paul said that if Jesus was not actually raised from the dead, then that means three things. First, according to verses 14 and 15, it means that he and all the other apostles were liars. You see, they had been preaching everywhere that God had raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was the central theme of all of their preaching. But if God did not actually raise Jesus from the dead, then they were misrepresenting God and they were telling a colossal lie. Second, according to verse 17, if Jesus is not raised from the dead then that means that our faith is useless. You see, if we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, but if in fact he was not raised from the dead, then we are fools who have been deceived and our faith is worthless. You see, if Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, then the Christian faith is bogus. And third, according to verse 19, if Jesus is not raised, then we are to be pitied. You see, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, if we have been believing a lie, if we have been obeying and following a dead Jesus who cannot actually save us from sin, death, and hell, then we of all people are to be the most pitied. You see, if Jesus is still dead and the Christian faith is a fraud, then we all gave up way too much to believe it and to follow this dead Jesus. I think there are only two options before us when it comes to the Christian faith. Here's option one. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the Christian faith is worthless and we ought to reject it. Don't believe a single word of it. It's all be baloney. And we who believe that Jesus is risen from the dead we who believe that he's alive, we who believe that he's going to come back one day when in fact he's dead, he's never coming back, then we ought to be the most pitied. Or here's option two. But if Jesus is indeed raised from the dead, then the Christian faith is precious and we ought to embrace the Christian faith. In fact, we ought to be the people who are the most envied, not the most pitied. You see, the Christian faith really is all or nothing. Either Jesus really did rise from the dead and everything that he said was true, or he's still dead and nothing he said even matters. These are the only two options before us, and it all depends on this. Did Jesus really get up from the grave? It all depends on the resurrection of Jesus. The Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection. You see, if Jesus is still dead, and if his dead body is still buried on earth somewhere, then our Christian faith is worthless. We believe the colossal lie, and who knows what happens after we die. But... If Jesus was indeed raised from the dead, then that changes everything, doesn't it? Everything that Jesus said about himself, everything he said about God, everything he said about the forgiveness of sins, everything he said about uh, the resurrected life in the new heavens and the new earth, and everything he said about the unconditional, steadfast love of God, all of that is true. It's gloriously true. The good news is true, not just make-believe. So the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely necessary for the Christian faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, our faith is false and worthless. But with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, our faith is true 
and precious. Lastly, let's talk about the hope of our own resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our own resurrection, that we who believe in, we who belong to Jesus, we too will be resurrected one day. In verses 20 to 23, the Apostle Paul said that the resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits of the general resurrection that all believers will experience one day. Now, when Paul called the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits, he was using an analogy from farming. The, the first fruits was the earliest part of the harvest, and it was a pledge and a guarantee that the rest of the full harvest was coming shortly. You see, a farmer would sow the seed, water, and wait, and as soon as he saw the first fruits, he knew the whole harvest is coming. And also at the same time, the first fruits were a sample and a preview of what the rest of the harvest would be like. You see, a farmer could tell what the whole crop, the whole harvest would be like by looking at and tasting the first fruits. You see, if the first fruits were small and undelicious, not delicious, then the rest of the harvest would be small and not delicious. But if the first fruits were, were large, plump, and delicious, then he knew that the rest of the harvest would be large, plump, and delicious. And when the Apostle Paul called the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection of all believers, he was saying that the resurrection of Jesus was not only a guarantee and a pledge that the rest of the resurrection was coming, but it was also a preview of our own resurrection. You see, the resurrected body of Jesus was a preview of the kind of resurrected body that we would be resurrected with. And according to verse 23, the resurrection of our bodies will happen when? When Jesus returns, when Jesus comes again. You know, there is a sad and sobering truth that we must all accept, no matter what our age is, and that's this. All of us will die one day. There is not a single person in this room that can escape death. Now, you may be young, healthy, you feel invincible. You eat what you want, when you want, you do whatever you want, and, and you just feel like you live this young, strong, indestructible life, and you hardly ever think about death. I know, I was once young too. I felt invincible, ate what I want, when I wanted, did whatever I wanted, and I felt like I was invincible. But as you get older, and um, as you start to attend uh, more funerals than you do weddings, and as your own body begins to wear down and break down, you become quite convinced that death is unavoidable, and it's coming, even for you. Uh, the church that I pastor in Virginia is collectively getting older, and many of our members are burying their parents. I have officiated many, many funerals for the parents of the members of our church. But before long, we will be burying not just the parents of our members, but our members themselves, as many of our members are now entering into their 60s. That means in the next 10, 15, 20 years, uh, I will be officiating uh, many funerals for the members of our church and not just their parents. Uh, and, and let me tell you, these are all people who once thought they were young and strong and invincible. But they are getting older and more frail. And uh, this is sad uh, and depressing stuff, I know. 
But there is good news for us. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that when we die, we will not stay dead. When Christians die, our spirits are immediately resurrected, and our resurrected spirits go to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven immediately, while our bodies are buried in the ground. And on the day when Jesus returns, our dead bodies will be resurrected just as Jesus' dead body was resurrected. And our resurrected bodies will be reunited with our resurrected spirits. And then in our resurrected bodies, we will live forever in a resurrected world, which the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the gospel says that this fallen and broken world that we live in will be resurrected as well. And verse 24 says, Then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said this, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I love this quote by Pastor Tim Keller on the restoration of the world, and he wrote this. All the effects of sin, all the decay of the world will be healed. Not only will there be physical liberation from disease, aging, and death, but there will be social liberation from poverty, war, racism, and crime that infest our world now, as well as psychological liberation from fear, guilt, shame, and despair that infect us now. The gospel says, listen very carefully, the gospel says that the resurrected Jesus is also the returning Jesus. And one day when Jesus returns, he will fully restore this world and this broken and decaying world will be transformed into the new heavens and the new earth. One day everything wrong will be made right and everything broken will be healed. One day there will be no more COVID, no more cancer, no more dementia, no more sickness of any kind. One day there will be no more wars, no more racism, no more violence, no more abuse, and no more injustice of any kind. One day there will be no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. Verse 26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, when Jesus returns, he will destroy death and all of its effects, and Jesus will heal everything. Every wound, every pain, every suffering, every injustice, and every sadness that you have ever experienced, God himself will heal everything. As the song goes, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Earth has no sorrow that God cannot heal. And verse 28 says that all of this will happen so that for a purpose, so that God may be all in all. You see, what makes the new heavens and the new earth so glorious is not just the absence of the bad things that make us sad or mad, but more importantly, the presence of God himself who will make us glad. You see, when we, what makes the new heavens and the new earth so wonderful is not only the fact that there will be no more suffering there, but there will be the one who loved us and suffered for us. He will be there. And we will dwell with him forever. See, right now we have Jesus by faith, 
but then we love Jesus by sight. Right now, we have Jesus in part, but on that day, we, are, we will have Jesus in fullness. Friends, this is what makes the new heavens and the new earth so glorious. Not only the absence of all those terrible things today that get us mad or sad, but the presence of Jesus himself. And he will make our hearts glad, truly, eternally, and fully glad. In heaven, God will be all in all, and our joy will be unspeakable. Uh, I don't know most of you personally. I don't know your personal stories, but I do know this, that sadness is a part of your story. And for some of you, sadness is a big part of your story. And maybe you're younger here, and it's just a matter of time before sadness will be a part of your story as well. Some of you are living a life that you didn't imagine for yourself. There have been some disappointments and losses in your life, um, and you've never recovered from them. Recovered from them. Uh, some of you are experiencing deep marital problems. Some of you have family members who are really sick, uh, struggling with things like cancer or dementia. Uh, some of you have aging parents, and you don't know how much longer you're going to have with them. Uh, some of you have already buried one or two of your parents. Some of you have strained and broken relationships, either with a parent or maybe a child or a sibling, and you don't know how to fix it. Uh, some of you have older children who aren't walking with the Lord, and it breaks your heart. Um, some of you have recently buried a young spouse, and the grief and the sadness are still unspeakable. You see, the older we get, the longer we live in this fallen and broken world, the more we experience sufferings and losses and disappointments, the more reason we will have for sadness. So, was Van Gogh right? Will sadness, will our sadness last forever? Van Gogh was a brilliant artist, but he was not a truth teller. The gospel says that one day the resurrected Jesus will come again. And when he does, death will be swallowed up by life immortal and sadness will be swallowed up by joy unspeakable. One day, everything sad will become untrue. Uh, Maria was a friend of mine uh, who died of cancer at a very young age. And I had the privilege of being her pastor for a few years. Uh, we would be the same age today if she were still alive. Uh, she married one of my good friends, a pastor. His name is Daniel. Um, and Maria was diagnosed with breast cancer in her early 30s uh, before they got married. But they got married anyway. And Maria fought cancer for the entirety of her marriage to Daniel. And toward the end of her life, as her body was weakened from the cancer and the cancer treatments, it was too hard for Maria to physically get to church. So one Sunday, I, I went to Maria and Daniel's house along with a few members from her church, and we wanted to do a small worship service for Maria. We sang a few hymns. I preached the sermon to Maria. We shared in the Lord's Supper together. And then we prayed for her. I prayed for her. I prayed for her healing. And I prayed Father, we pray that you would heal Maria, and I know, I know that you will heal her. 
Pastor Daniel later told me that he remembers thinking at that moment, what's Pastor Owen doing? What's he saying? Doesn't he know how bad her condition is? Why is he giving her false hope? And he remembers getting upset at me on the inside as I was praying. And then I continued to pray. I know that you will heal her. If not this day, then on the last day. If not in this life, then in the life to come, if not today, then at the day of her resurrection. Maria passed away a few weeks later on March 21 of 2011, over 11 years ago. God chose not to heal Maria on that day, but we know that God will heal her on the last day. And when Jesus comes again, he will give Maria a new resurrected, perfect body, a body that can never get cancer again. And God will raise Maria's body on the last day and it will be reunited with her spirit. And by the way, her spirit is alive right now, rejoicing in the presence of Jesus. Maria is not dead. She's alive with Jesus. But one day, God will raise Maria's body from the dead just as he raised Jesus' body from the dead and her resurrected body will be reunited with her resurrected living spirit. In this life, we will all experience sadness. And sometimes that sadness will be deep. Sometimes that sadness will be prolonged. And it will feel like that sadness will last forever. But the gospel says that our sadness will not last forever because the resurrected Lord Jesus is coming back one day. And on that day, death will be destroyed and everything sad will become untrue. Christ central, this is our blessed living hope. And may this living hope sustain us and comfort us as we endure the sufferings and the sadnesses of this life, and as we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us one day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, you who are risen from the dead, you who are living and reigning right now, we believe that one day you will return. You will come again. And on that day, you will make all things new and all things right. You will heal this broken world and you will heal us. And in resurrected spirit, living in resurrected bodies, we will live in a resurrected world the new heavens and the new earth. And on that day, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. And we will know joy unspeakable as we dwell with you forever in heaven. Thank you for this glorious hope. Would you use this hope to sustain us, to carry us when we're weary and sad in this life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.